Is everyone well? All right. We get to be in Hosea 11 tonight. You should all be very excited. That's the way. That is the way. So as we look at Hosea chapter 11, this is... Um, this is a, what, how do I say, a parenthetical, positive, hopeful chapter placed right prior to a history of all the failure of Israel prior to the conclusion, which is another uh, positive chapter. So what we want to understand, here's what we have to gain as we go through Hosea. This is a, the whole point is the first three chapters. The story, Hosea, prophet of God. Go marry a prostitute. She's unfaithful to him. She finds herself running down uh, the road of unfaithfulness, has children that don't belong to him. Uh, later on, she leaves, abandons him for a reckless life that ultimately ends in slavery. And then God says to Hosea, go get your wife. Go love he." The command from God to Hosea is go love her. And so Hosea does this. And this is the backdrop of the prophetic ministry of Hosea. Now, what we have to understand when we read the book of Hosea and we're looking for a place to put ourselves, we are Gomer. If you don't know who Gomer is, she's a prostitute. If you read Ezekiel 16, I've referred to Ezekiel 16 several times. If you read the story of Ezekiel 16 and you think you're some other character in the story, you are misapplying the scripture. The point is the unfaithfulness of God's people and the faithfulness of God. Our unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. And it's, it is seen or expressed in this idea, the initiation of God's redeeming love for wretched sinners. Don't forget the last part. The initiating, the initiating of God's redeeming love for wretched sinners. And God initiates that. Nobody is looking for God and then they come around the corner and are surprised they find him and they love God and God loves them back. That's not how that works. God initiates. Every experience, God initiates with Adam, God initiates with Noah, God initiates with Moses, God initiates with Abraham, God initiates on and on and on. What, what do all of those characters of the Bible have in common? In one degree or another, they are unfaithful. And what does God do? He loves them anyway. But because he is holy and because he is just, he does not overlook their sin, but rather he lays before us in scripture that there is one who will come and pay for our sin. In the story, Hosea pays what Gomer owes. Hosea is a picture of God. So the expression in the book of Hosea is there will be a day where God will pay for what Gomer owes. Anybody want to guess who that was? That's right. 
right? For God so loved the world, God's initiating, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, right, and trust Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection, whoever would trust in him would have everlasting life. They would have the promise of being with God eternally. And this is the hope, even in the Old Testament. We just don't know the names yet. We see the picture, the backdrop, the ideas are there. But uh, until Christ comes, he does not shine light as brightly. That's why Jesus will stand up at the festival of lights and declare himself to be the light of the world. You have walked in darkness till now, but here is the light. So we want to understand God always initiates a relationship. And Hosea 11 begins with God's calling of the people. Look what it says in Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Now the child did not initiate the relationship. God initiated the relationship. If you need to look it up, it's in Genesis chapter 12 when God says to Abram, Abram, leave your people and go to a place that I will show you. And the Bible declares to us, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the beginning of what would become Israel, right? There's 400 years of slavery and a long journey down the road, but ultimately is what God accomplishes. So he says, when Israel was a child... I loved him. So he starts with this idea of God's compassion. And this love of God, this love that is God, is a part of the attributes of God. It's part of his character. But we'll see in this chapter, another part of his character is holiness. And holiness can't ignore sinfulness. Right? So we're going to see those things contrasted out. So what did God do? He revealed his love to Israel. He re, he's going to describe it for us. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, <clears throat> the Lord's instructions to Moses. He says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. All the way back in Exodus, you have the beginning of the picture of the Son of God seen in the nation of Israel. Because you're going to hear this verse, uh, um, Hosea 11.1, 1, quoted by Matthew. Aren't you? Jesus, when he's a baby, his parents are going to flee. They're going to go to Egypt. And then they're going to return out of Egypt back in Israel. And what is Matthew going to say? Matthew 2.15. It says, They remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. So you have the foreshadowing, the illustration of true events that, that were about Israel, but that God is saying, it's just not happenstance that this is a picture of my son, but he called Israel his, his firstborn. His love is upon the nation of Israel. Israel is going to be a light to the rest of the world. That is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? Because what we know about us is we're the harlot in the story. 
So everybody else that's in Israel is going to fail. But there's one of Israel that's not going to fail. His name is the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, Jesus, the Christ. He is going to be all the things that the Israel as a nation was to be to the world is going to pass to Jesus Christ. And he's going to be that light to the world as he is to this day. Amen. Is there any name under heaven by which men must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ? His is the name. Now look as the story goes on. He says, the more they were called, the more they went away. Paul says in his ministry, the more I loved you, the more you hated me. The idea here is Jesus is wooing, he's calling, he's, he is, has an attitude of drawing the people toward him, but their natural tendency is rebellion. Mankind's natural tendency is the unfaithfulness of Gomer. That's our natural tendency. Nobody has to teach us to, to break promises. We are born able to do that. We don't have to learn it. It's right there. It's part of the nature of man. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals. Now, the word Baal means Lord. That's what the word means. And it can be a reference to the Canaanite deity, Baal, or it can be a reference to any deity other than the Lord God Almighty. So they are worshiping to the Baals, the, the other gods, other lords, and burning offerings to idols. What is it he's saying in verse 2 of Hosea 11? He's saying this, that the seeds of their apostasy were with them when they left Egypt. I called them out of Egypt, but they, the seed of apostasy was already there. Or look at it like this, the seed of their unfaithfulness. It's not that they became a prostitute. They were a prostitute then. This it, it speaks to the, the character, the nature of, of mankind. Numbers 11, uh, 4 through 6 says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. What? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, keep in mind, the, in the illustration of the story in the Old Testament, who's the manna? Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. But when they looked upon him, they didn't see anything that they desired. They didn't long for the manna. They longed for whatever they didn't have. They wanted something else. Gomer, the wife of Hosea, look at Hosea. He's going to be a, a, a good man. He's going to rescue her. But she doesn't see the value in Hosea. She sees the value in all her other lovers, all the other Baals, all the sacrifices given to other to others. So the more I called Israel, the further he went away. 
So he says in verse 3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. So we're back to the picture of a child. So when the Lord says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. It's similar to the picture in Ezekiel. He's talking about a child that is not capable of caring for himself. It's like he's saying, when he was a baby, I loved him. And as he grew, I taught him to walk. God is saying, I'm the one who was there with him. I taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. Look at that next phrase. But they did not know it was I who healed them. You look at stories. We have stories throughout the Old Testament about the Exodus where, where the children of Israel, you guys remember um, in Mount Hor, uh, they are complaining to God and he sent the serpents. You guys remember the fiery serpents? And then the Lord told Moses, you put a, a fix a, a bronze pole with a serpent on it and everyone who looks on it will be saved. They'll be healed. But the Lord is saying in Hosea, they didn't know it was me. There's actually a time in the history of Israel where God, where God, through the prophet, instructs the people to destroy that because they're still trying to worship the bronze pole. It wasn't the bronze pole. It was what it signified, right? The curse. The curse nailed to the staff. Who's that? In that, it's a picture of Jesus Christ, right? The, he who knew no sin would become our sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God. All of these things are illustrations. They're foreshadowing. They're part of the story brought forward so that we can understand it. So he says, I'm the one who healed them. I'm the one who walked behind them and held them up so they could learn how to walk. It's God expressing his love to to uh, to the people, to the to the nation. And then in verse 4, now he's going to shift. Now the, the metaphor is going to shift from that of a child to a cow. And it's not natural for us to move in the metaphor of child to cow, but you'll get it as we take a look. He says, I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaw. I bent down to them, and I fed them. So you know how you get an ox to plow? You put an ox in a yoke, and they had this thing called a goad. And the goad gets the ox that doesn't want to move to move. So you get behind the ox, and you either have a goad looks like a little spear where you jab the ox, and the ox doesn't like the jabbing, so it moves. And should the ox stop, you jab it again. Now, they also had goads that they would put in a bar behind their legs because sometimes when you goad an ox, it wants to kick you. So they put a bunch of spikes across the back so when they goad the ox and it wants to kick you, it kicks a spike, which once again makes it want to move. So you get the ox to move forward. How does God say he leads him? I goad you from behind, I'm stabbing you with a spear, I'm goading you, or does he say... I'm leading you from the front. You ever tried to move an ox that don't want to go from the front? I saw a bull one time, and I saw the smallest man on record standing in front of a 2,000-pound bull, and that bull went where he pointed. 
And I remember asking him, wow, what happens if he don't do that? And he said, I get hurt. <laughs> he said, what the bull don't know is it goes wherever it wants to go. I'm just trying to convince the bull this is where it wants to go. The, 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 the thing that the Lord is laying out is I'm leading you with cords of kindness. I'm not behind you stabbing you. I'm leading you with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I'm, I'm, it's the same picture he was saying earlier. I'm calling you. But the more I call you, the more you want to go away. I'm drawing you with kindness, with bands of love. I'm the one who eases the yoke. You remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. Now, easy don't mean life is simple. So people, if people have told you if you're doing something in ministry, it should be easy or it's not real, that's not what that word means. That word means it fits well. It doesn't chafe. It doesn't rub. And the reason why it's important to be yoked together is you're yoked with Christ. So you're able to do more than you're able to do because you're yoked with him. So we, we look at this. He's saying, I draw you a bit. I bend down. He's he stooped down to, to, to feed them, to care for them. He is their protection. He is easing their burdens. He is ultimately their provision, the one who's providing for them. The picture of the wilderness, where, who gave them manna every day to eat. That's God's provision, right? So he's like, look, I'm stooping down to care for you. Look at verse 5. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. So here's where you get the idea that the pictures, you have illustrations when God says, they're going to go to Egypt. Well, what does that mean? It means they're going into bondage, but they're not going to the country of Egypt. Where are they going? He says right here, but Assyria shall be their king. Why? Because they refuse to return to me. Remember I told you two paths? The Bible's a story of two paths, one that leads to life, one that leads to death. If you continue down the road of, that leads to destruction, guess where you'll arrive? Exactly where you've been going all along. So the Lord is saying, look, you're going to Assyria. Assyria shall be your king. Why? She refused to repent. Go back to Gomer. Why did Gomer end up in slavery? Why did Gomer end up unwanted living in a back alley somewhere in the dirt? Because she would not repent. She would not repent. And one of the things this part of the story declares is that she, this unfaithful woman, or she, this nation of Israel, deserves separation, not reconciliation. But what will she receive? What's the end of the story? Go and redeem her. The holiness of God demands separation, right? God's going to say in a moment, I, I'm not even going to come to your city. It's a, it's a statement of, of judgment ultimately because a holy God cannot walk in the midst of the city the way it is. It's not a fit home. It's not a fit place. If God was to walk through in his holiness, what happens to all the people in their wretchedness? What happened when Isaiah was standing before the Lord? What did, what's the first words out of his lips when he saw God? Woe is me. 
I am undone. I can't survive in the midst of the holiness of God because I am I'm a prostitute. I'm unfaithful. I'm a wretch. And the reality of a believer who acknowledges and recognizes who they are helps that believer walk in joy and hope in the glory of his salvation, his provision in Jesus Christ. If we don't think that's who we are in the story, we don't really value our salvation. It's just a word. But if we know, if you understand, if you see it, then we are able to recognize the love of God and the grace of God, which ultimately frees us, right? It's not something I have accomplished. It's something that God has done. It's something that he has provided. Look at verse 6. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, devour them because of their own counsels. She relied on her own plans. How did Gomer get where she got? She kept trying to manipulate her situation with the other men who would give her money or give her favors until she had no more manipulation to give. Until there was no value. And then what do you have? Well, nothing. The sword will rage against the city, the gates. There's no security. There's no safety. Why? Because they are devoured because of their own counsel. Judges said it like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever was right in his own mind. And where did they end up? Right? So this is the description that that is being given. Look at verse 7. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, El Elyon, he shall not raise them up at all. Now he's saying now, he says, they have resisted following him. Though he's called, though he's, he's invited, come follow me. They are bent. Um, they're a crooked stick. Can God strike a straight blow with a crooked stick? Well, sure, he's God. Can I? No, crooked stick is crooked. The Lord is saying they're bent this way. The sin nature of man. The nature of man is bent to rebel against God. Look at our world for crying out loud. Could it be more bent, more crooked, more rebellious against God? In our own, in our own places, in our, in, our, in our own local library, it's Pride Month. And they're calling for a celebration of Pride Month and putting out special books for people to read about Pride Month. In Buell, oh, it's worse in Twin. Twin, I'm pretty sure they have drag queens reading to kids in Twin. I know for sure they're having crazy uh, parties at the city park. They're celebrating that which we should be repenting from. Right? Right? They're celebrating it because we are bent to rebel. Man is bent to rebel. And that's what they're doing across the nation. Not just them. You pick the city. 
pick the place. For crying out loud, at Christmas, you can't even get people to say Merry Christmas. But on Pride Month, everybody and their sister has a poster up to celebrate that which we should repent of. And we need to realize, well, we can't be silent anymore. We shouldn't have been silent once. That probably the worst thing we ever did in the history of the church was have something called a silent majority. Well, just so you know, if you're a majority and you're silent, you're nothing. If nobody says anything, nothing happens, right? So there's a point in which the body of Christ is going to need to wake up. My people are bent, turning away from me. And though they call on the Most High, I won't lift them up. This refers to the pollution of worship. It's like everything that they're about is about false gods and unfaithfulness, and there's a flippant response, a call to El Elyon. El Elyon, it just means God Most High. So we're going to call to God Most High. We've already called to all the Baals. We don't want to leave anybody out. And El Elyon says, I'm not listening. In Hosea 7, if you remember, Hosea 7, verse 16, here's what the Lord said. They return, but not upward. They return, but they're not coming to me. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the, the point that God is making is that this is bogus. This is a pollution of worship. And so there's no humility. Jesus told the story. We have to understand how important it is to be like the tax collector who is not filled with errors. He's not saying, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not unfaithful. I'm really basically a good person. That's not what the tax collector says. He beats on his breast and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what does God do? He has mercy on him, right? We come to the Lord with that attitude and that heart. God's forgiveness and grace is right there. No humility, no exaltation. No humility, no exaltation. For God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And that word for resist, God resists the proud, is the same word that we are called to do with the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. Same word. That's how God resists the proud. In the book of Proverbs, listing out seven things God hates. Pride's at the top of the list. This no humility, no exaltation. So what's he say? Look at what he says in verse 8. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? This is, the, this is the heart of God. This is an expression of the heart of God. How, how do I give up on you? How do I turn you over? How do I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma <coughs> or treat you like Zeboim? Now, if you are a Bible student, you should know those two names. 
They're from the book of Genesis. The story of the five kings. The Bible tells us that the five kings made war against, well, the two names that aren't here you'll recognize. Sodom and Gomorrah. The city, the, the battle of the five kings, five cities. He's naming two lesser-known cities. And what's God saying? How can, I, how can I treat you like them? They were utterly destroyed, right? There was no redemption. There was not a day later on where God redeemed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah is just gone. That's God's holiness in the midst of a sinful people. What happens if the holiness of God visits a sinful place? That's what it looks like. Because that sinfulness cannot abide the holiness of God. Listen to what God says. He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. The concern of God is not that there will be no judgment, because we know there is a judgment, and the northern kingdom's going into captivity, right? So we know there's going to be a judgment. What he's describing is why there's not going to be a full end. Why he doesn't just bring, like the disciples, you know, the sons of thunder. Remember what they said? Lord, should we call fire from heaven? And the Lord's like, no. It is, will God make a full end of wickedness? Yep, for sure he will. Will he rejoice about it? No, he won't. He will do it. He will do it. And will it glorify God? For sure. He's glorified in his justice. He's glorified in his wrath because it's perfect. He's glorified in his holiness. But he describes the idea of like the phrasing in in Ezekiel is when he says there's, I, I do not glory in the destruction of the wicked. He's saying, I don't celebrate it. He says his desire is that men would repent. That's why, that's why the call, that's why the provision, that's why the Messiah, that's why the cross, that's why the resurrection, that's why the Holy Spirit poured out on the church. All of these things all say, all cry out that God's compassion uh, is for the people. So God's not going to give full vent to his fury. But somebody's got to pay. Or God's not just. Somebody's got to pay or God's holiness is defiled. Somebody's got to pay or God's justice is destroyed. Someone has to pay. His name is Jesus Christ. So is God justified in Hosea going and receiving Gomer back and loving her? As though nothing happened? He is. Why? Because Jesus is going to take Gomer's place. Jesus is going to take my place. He's going to take your place. He will bear the wrath of God for the sinner. He will make atonement <coughs> for the lost. Our God is mighty to save. Look at verse 9. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again 
destroy Ephraim. Why does he say again? Ephraim is basically going to go into exile, and we're not going to really see them again until, you know, the, the rebirth of the nation, and that is primarily going to come from the southern part of the kingdom. Why does he say again? Well, in Isaiah 1.10, Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Hosea, they were both prophets at the same time, Isaiah writes, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You know who he's talking to? Ephraim. He's talking to the northern kingdom. Ezekiel does the same thing. In that chapter, I have referred to 10,000 times. In Ezekiel 16, verse 46, describing the relationship of the nation of Israel with Sodom and Gomorrah, it says in verse 46, your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who lived to the south of you is Sodom with her daughters. So this one, Ezekiel's talking to Judah, and he's saying your sister is the northern kingdom, they're already gone, and you are related to Sodom. The cities, that's what they're acting like. Our mankind's rebellion against God is always going to reach a point where it looks like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the story in the Bible is not about the, the horror of homosexuality. It is about what happens to the rebellion of mankind when God judges. And the reason that is accomplished is so that there's a point in history to point to and say that's what happens when the judgment of God is poured out. So we have the grace of God to give us hope, the, the sacrifices to God to, to drive us forward to the atonement of Jesus Christ and the hope that there is salvation. Otherwise, God would do that over and over and over and over and over and over throughout history. Sodom and Gomorrah were not the two worst cities in history. They're an example of a city in outright rebellion, total rebellion against God and what happens when God judges. That's it. And the message is so that we, so when God says to Israel, you're Sodom, what's that mean? All my life, the Israel, the people in Israel are saying, all my life we knew how bad Sodom was, but we're not that bad. I'm not Gomer. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm Gomer. In the story, I'm Gomer. And in order to stand before a holy God, I need his grace and mercy provided through Jesus Christ, my Lord, the Son of God. And this is what the Lord is declaring in Hosea. Then he goes on, look at the, look at the end in verse 10. For I am God, not a man. So he says, I'm not going to destroy you. He's not going to make a full end like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not the final judgment. Uh, for I'm a God, not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Now, in order for God not to come in wrath, he cannot come. Wrap your mind around that for a minute. When the Lord comes, it is a day 
of the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. The day of his return, Revelation 19, that's judgment day, right? This is the end. This is what he is declaring. This is what he's laying out. So he says, look, I'm, I am God. I'm not a man. I can forestall my judgment. That final judgment, he's saying, I can forestall it. I, I will not enter the city because if the holiness of God walked into the city, it would be destroyed. So how does God next walk into the city? Jesus Christ comes walking in. He turns over tables. He cleanses it. He says, my father's house shall be a house of for every nation. For every nation. And when he leaves being rejected, he says, see then your house is left to you desolate. The presence of God was not in the temple. Not from the exile to the time Christ walked in. And if they build the temple tomorrow, it won't be there then either. But it will come. The glory of God will, will come. Listen to the assurance of a future in verse 10. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he His children will come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So though the exile is happening and the end of the nation of Israel is going to occur, he says, I'm going to bring you back. This is not the end. This is not Armageddon. This is not the final battle or the end of the story. There will still be opportunity for redemption. There will be a day. Verse 12, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Northern Kingdom's going to go into exile first, 150 years earlier. But what did we say was the nature of man? What's his natural bend? Rebellion. And what did that eventually come to the south too? Yeah, we read about it in Daniel, right? The, the, the kingdom of the south being taken into captivity for the same thing. Why did, what is all of this laying out? What is the story of Torah? What is the story? The story is God initiates, man fails. God initiates, man fails. God initiates, man fails. God initiates, man fails. God becomes man. He doesn't fail. And now we have the hope of redemption as long as we know who we are in the story. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes didn't know who they were. They thought that they were not like every other man. They thought that they were not, they did not struggle with sin. Do we have that here today? No struggle with sin. We always respond as we should. We never look at somebody with hatred in our heart. We want to be able to rightly reflect Christ. We have to recognize in the story of Hosea, 
I'm the prostitute. And Jesus Christ is Hosea. And he paid the price for me. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your, the truth of your word, what your word declares, God, how you've moved, what you have accomplished in our lives, Lord. We're so thankful for uh, just your love. You initiated love and you have made atonement. The scripture declares everyone who, who calls on the name of the Lord, who confesses Jesus Christ, shall be saved. Just like Rahab telling her friends and family that the nation of Israel was going to defeat Jericho, but anyone who would come into her house where the scarlet thread of redemption was, anyone in that house would be saved. So Christ has said, come follow me. And anyone who is covered, who is wearing the wedding garment of Jesus Christ, who is clothed in his righteousness, shall be saved. It's not my righteousness. It's his. He covers me. Not so that I can continue in sin. He covers me so that I can reflect his character to a world that needs to know him. God, I pray that we would learn the lesson that Hosea is laying out for us. That we would understand our place in the redemption story. And we, with one voice, would be like tax collectors. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that we would love you for what you have given to us. For we deserve separation. You gave us reconciliation. So God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.